today we are wrapping up a series called Kings and Kingdoms. Uh, we've been kind of looking over the past uh, couple of uh, weeks, really the week before last, those two weeks, uh, looking at, at how regardless of who's king, God is still on the throne and um, how God uses good kings and bad kings. And sometimes when things are getting divided, God's just right. He's got people. He's got us right where he wants us to. Sometimes that's even his plan. And so today we're going to close out this series. And, and it's interesting that, that it lands on this day because today's also, while it's an ending of the series, we're launching into a, a new one as well, because this is the beginning of Advent. Advent might be a familiar terminology, or a familiar term to some of you, but it's a kind of on the tr- traditional church calendar, Advent begins the four Sundays out from, from Christmas. Um, and ad- the, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which just means coming, and most of us would think that Advent actually was started as, you know, what we know it today about the coming birth of Christ, but actually, when they started it in the early centuries, it was uh, on the church calendar. It was to look forward to a certain kind of feast time uh, when they were going to celebrate all these new people who came to know Jesus, and they were going to baptize them. And so people fasted and prayed for these people. And so I, I know there's some of you in this room that you've come to know Jesus, and uh, even recently, or you've rededicated your life to him, and we're just celebrating with you. And so uh, it, 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 it turned from there, and then it moved into actually uh, more com- waiting for the coming, the second coming of Christ. And so it kind of took on a whole different form of what Advent meant. Um, and then now we know it today, the fifth kind of Middle Ages uh, time, it kind of took on what we know it today as awaiting the birth of Christ. And I think it's okay to just recognize all three of like, we can just fast and pray for, for uh, people that are coming to know Jesus, and we can kind of fast and pray and, and just wait for the Lord's second coming as well as uh, celebrating his birth, um, brought his presence on this earth to us and toward the veil that we might know personal relationship and like we've never known before. So I'm thankful we're going to dive into this series and kind of we're ending again this series as we start kind of the Advent season. And I, I want to end it by, by talking about the kingdom of heaven uh, or throughout the gospel sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God. Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven more often than not. So um, there, there's really, you can have kind of two different arguments about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but we're just going to kind of lump them into one today, just for our purposes. And, and it's really this defined, the divine kingdom over which God rules sovereignly over everything in heaven and on earth. So it's kind of a really broad term, but it, it's really God's kingdom. And, and what I want to kind of get in today is not, I was kind of going one direction and I felt God just completely changed it to seven parables that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, and we're just going to kind of break those down. I'll have to move somewhat quick, or we'll be here all day with seven parables. Um, it's like, hey, pastor's going to preach seven messages in a row, but they're going to be really short messages, because I think it'll give us a broad understanding as Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand what this kingdom thing was about. Jesus talked about that, the kingdom of heaven, more than he talked about anything else. Is the most central theme in Jesus' preaching. More than anything else, more than heaven, more than hell, more than money, because you know he talked about money a lot. More than anything, he talked about the kingdom of heaven. Why would he talk about it so much? Because it was so important for us to understand. And why did he do it through parables? Because it was so important for us to understand. And so I want us to dive into this today. Um, And I think as we look at kingdom and we look at, at it defined, when Jesus talked about it, he talked about a kingdom to come, an age to come. And so it falls under theologically a category known as eschatology. Eschatology is just the study 
of the end times. And there's actually lots of different approaches and views on eschatology and even the kingdom. There, there's specific kind of views on this. And so I'm not going to go through all the popular and not so popular ones. I'm just going to kind of, kind of give you what, how I view this. And most of the time I don't do that. I kind of let you sit in the tension and kind of figure it out um, with the Lord yourself. But today, just for, for time's sake, um, I, I fall on the inaugurated eschatology is kind of where I land on this. And, and the inaugurated eschatology basically means this. It's also known as the already not, uh, not yet view of the kingdom, that uh, Jesus started something, but it's not finished. Eschatology, it's in the process of realization. It's both present and future views of the kingdom. It's not about just a kingdom. And some of the mentality that possibly if you grew up in a church, you probably grew up with, you know, uh, I'm, I'm ready to just get out of here right? A lot, of, a lot of heaven singing, and heaven singing is really good. Like, there's a lot of, like, things that we should sing about that. But something that came with that, with the, just the heightened sense of talking about heaven all the time, was let me just get up out of this and not, and not understand the fact that Jesus has put us here for a reason, because he started something a long time ago, and it's still continuing. So it's both a present and a future view. Jesus established something here on earth that will find its completion in the age to come. So it's just an inaugurated, means it started, um, age to come. And so Jesus talks about this a ton. John the Baptist was preaching uh, repentance, you know, for the kingdom of God is near. Um, And then even at the Last Supper, Jesus is preaching again. So it's the most central theme. It's talked about before he starts preaching, and it's one of the last things he's preaching. It's a a big deal. And you're going to find a thread. As we go through these seven parables, you're going to find a thread. And it's all about your heart. It always is, right? It's all about the heart. And so we're going to go through these different seven parables, and I'll try to keep a good pace for us today and um, dive in here. So <clears throat> my prayer is that really that you would walk away today. It would be your central theme, like it was Jesus' central theme. That if the idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has been a backburner issue or something that you haven't quite understood or living out, that if it was Jesus' most central theme, it ought to be my most central theme um, and so let's, let's dive in here. We're going to begin with uh, the hidden treasure parable in Matthew chapter 13. Most six out of the seven are in Matthew chapter 13, so we'll just keep it easy if you're reading along with us. And I'll bounce around just for, for fun. Um, for, uh, let's begin with verse 44 here. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Just kind of picture this for a second. Picture not having locks on your doors. Picture not having a bank account so when you found this treasure, you could cash it and then sell it on, you know, at the uh, pawn shop or whatever and put that thing in the bank so nobody could touch it, couldn't hide it away. Imagine living in this society. So this is what Jesus, and, and what would you do if you found this treasure in this world where you can't lock your doors and you can't put your treasure in a bank? What would you do with it? This guy's pretty smart. <laughs> he found the treasure, and he hid it. Pretty smart idea. He hides the treasure. If you can remember where it's going to be, then that's the way to go. If you can't, then it's probably not a great idea. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had, and he bought that field. When I was a kid, grew up in this suburb, and, but we had this like nice, we had enough woods around us that all these kids, 20 of us or something in the neighborhood, could go out, and we just play in the woods all day and get lost in the woods. Well, one day, what's now a car lot, a giant car lot, we, we got lost in this area, a place we had never and we, uh, seen before. And we came up on this abandoned old chicken farm, and we were hoodlums. I mean, we were just hard, 
hardcore hoodlums. Like, we just got into so much trouble. And so when we see an abandoned house, what are you supposed to, like, you break into it and you see what's going on in the abandoned house. So we did that. We broke into this abandoned house and we, like, we were like detectives. I mean, we were like off TV and like we were searching through documents and we found death records and we're like, this person's dead. And like, we just had it all figured out. And it, it was this, this kind of old abandoned chicken farm with a little house there. It was just like, we'd never seen this before. And so we go to leave, and we did not see livestock in the field when we arrived. But as we were exiting, we saw livestock, and these were like guard bulls. Like, it wasn't just a a, a cow, it was a bull. And they were like charging at us. And like, most of the time when you walk by cows, we just figure they're not going to pay attention to us. No, they charged us. They had been trained for battle, like, they were ready to go down. Well, uh, we, we didn't really find any treasure in the house, but, you know, like most kids, that's the coolest place in the world now. Now we got to go back. So we went back the next day, um, and actually, I just, I almost missed the, the craziest part. Not only did the bulls come out, I think it was the second day, we actually had a, a pickup truck come out with, a, like, a shotgun and fired it. Not at us, but he, like, fired in the air to scare a bunch of kids off his property. That's another story. Uh, but we, we came up on... What looked like a, a, a um, some kind of pipe that comes out of a house, and we're like, "What?" No, we're on. We, we just thought to move it, and we we looked a little bit more and pushed some things, and th- there was a literal house buried underground, buried underground. Okay, so that's not treasure, but that's like the closest I can get to finding treasure in a field. So because we found this buried house, and it was like the coolest thing, like a mystery there. But what would you do if you found treasure hidden in the field? This guy was pretty smart, as Jesus tells it, that he hid it. I think the message that Jesus wants us to get here is that the kingdom of heaven must be secured in our heart. It's got to be secured in our heart, for it's our joy and it's our strength. When he found it, like there was so much joy that he went and sold everything he had. And I think some of us are in this place where we've discovered it. And we were kind of enjoying it, but we haven't secured it deep within our soul. Deep within our soul that God, Jesus, I'll never, I'll never turn back. Jesus said anybody that puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus, I, I've never find anything more precious as you. I'll never. And it's interesting to me that the greatest joy comes with the greatest sacrifice. There was something, I mean, Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We were his joy, and he is, he's our joy. And so lean in and, and discover the, the beautiful hidden treasure and the security of, of knowing our, our soul is secure in, in, in the Lord today. Um, let's go to the next one. I'm going to have to keep moving. It's the next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. This time he defines the treasure, looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. Same thing. Same thing. He finds something and sells it. And before I just run one track on this, I think there's multiple ways that you can view this. With parables, they're so deep and there's a lot to kind of unearth and it's great for conversation and discussion. With this one, I mean, if we look at this, we ask ourselves, who is the merchant and who is the fine pearl, right? Are we the merchants and Jesus is the prize, the pearl? Or is he the merchant and we're the pearl? I think, I think you, could, you could make a case for both. 
Because really when it comes to salvation, we're not the merchant. We didn't purchase anything. It's what Jesus did for us. He was the merchant that bought us and that we were that fine pearl. So running with the, the other idea for just a second, he found it of great value. He, he found it of such great value that he literally sold everything for this one pearl. I remember the story years ago, I heard a pastor talk about being on the beach with his son, and his son liked to pick up seashells, and he started picking up all the seashells, and he was so excited about all the seashells, and he just had like a handful, some of your parents, been, or, or if you've been at the beach with kids, they love to do this, pick up so many, and we're like, what are we going to do with these things when we get home, when like we just try to discreetly throw them away when they're not watching, like you distract them, I'll throw them away, um, but he had all of them in his hand, and then he comes up on this like gorgeous, like big seashell. And he goes up to, and like he starts playing this like eyeball game like with his dad. Like, what am I, I can't let go of these, but I gotta have that. And like, this is kind of where a lot of us are spiritually. Like, we got a lot of things in our hand, a lot of things that we enjoy, some really like cool gray shells and some really cool like purplish shells. And we're really excited about the things that are in our hand, possibly, maybe not, possibly excited about what's in your hand. But when we discover this and we, we seek it out and we find the prize, like we'll just toss it all. Like a, who cares? You can find those all the time. It's once in a lifetime to find this, to find this shell. And so I think it speaks to us about the priority of the kingdom of God in our life, that nothing compares. The kingdom of heaven has our four focus, our foremost focus, the kingdom of heaven must be the greatest possession and priority in my life. Gold and silver would have actually, and bronze and different metals, actually would have been an easier terminology for people to understand. Pearls were not as frequent around there as they're not today. You see a lot of people probably with a gold or silver watch in here, or earrings, not many people with pearls around the neck. I love my wife in pearls, by the way. I just love it. When, when we first met, she always was wearing pearls, and that just, it, it got me. Um, so... But why did Jesus use the pearl? I believe it's because it can't be improved upon. When you find gold, you can melt it down. You can turn it into a lot of things. And that's sometimes what we try to do with the gospel, what we try to do with the kingdom. We try to melt it down and make it into an idol. We try to melt it down and turn it into a new watch or a new pulpit or a new ministry position or a new this. The kingdom of heaven doesn't need your improvement. It stands just fine all on its own. And so when we are invited into it, it's not about us making it better. It's, it's about just lifting him up and just about pointing people, look, like there's a pearl here. Like, I didn't do anything. It's not about impressing everybody with how great our church is. It's just about like, look at Jesus. Like, he's the best. Like, let's turn the attention there because that's where it should be. And that's what I think what this parable tells us is that it should be the greatest possession and the greatest priority for our church. What we do when we're kind of people go through our, our DNA sessions and teaching folks that we're gospel centered, that everything focuses around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything does. It's, it's the pearl. It's the pearl. But it's pretty cool that you can look at it the other way and Jesus sees us as the pearl. Let's go to uh, the next one. It's um, actually, let me tell you this funny story. Um, Actually, I'll skip it for time's sake. Okay, I'll do it. Um, I, was in, I was in Mexico a long time ago. Actually, uh, God rocked my life um, when I went to Mexico for the first time. I went on a mission trip, and my heart wasn't even really right with him, but uh, he rocked my world. And 
Uh, we were going through this little town about an hour and a half outside of Cancun. If you pull in on a cruise ship in Cancun, you think everything's amazing. Like, go 10 minutes outside of the, like, the center, and it's rough. Uh, it's village. It's village. So um, we were in this little village called Leona Vicario, and we were walking through a bunch of gringos, and uh, we, we come up on this, this little lady, and it looked like her adult son on their little shack um, of a house, and uh, her, her eyes just, like, light up when she sees us. Like, she was pumped because she had watched us walking down the street, going into different people's houses, spending some time with them talking and praying. And so when we got to her house, she was pumped. She was excited. And that's not usually the case. They're kind of standoffish, but she welcomed us in. And she, why she was so excited, because in the back yard, tied up, was the biggest pig I've ever seen in my life. It was the biggest pig I've ever seen in my life, and it was her prized possession. It was as big as a cow. I kid you not, it started over here and went to like right here. And like that's not a fish story, you know, where the fish gets bigger. It just was literally that big, and it was like that. It was the largest pig I've ever seen in my life. It was her prized possession, and we're proud of it. I pray that we'd be proud to be a part of the kingdom of God. Even in an era where the church is kind of cast out and kind of looked at, like, oh, you're a bigot or whatever, just take it. Like let it, Jesus said, don't be offended. It's not you. It's not uh, you. They're rejecting. They're rejecting me. Walk in confidence about the kingdom of God. Like, why would we not just celebrate the goodness of the Lord and this treasure that we found? The next one. Thank you for putting that up there. It's going to help me move along. Um, it wasn't as funny of a story anyway. I should have left it. Um, the household treasures, Matthew 13, 52. We skipped down a few verses. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures and as well as old. I think this is for each one of us. I think in the modern era, there, there's a lot of movement for us to try to make things better. Right? Especially as a church. I feel this tension big time as a pastor, to try to keep up with the megachurch down the road with everything. I feel that tension. And we've got to do the new, and we've got to do the greatest, and we've got to do that. And I think it, as we're a part of the kingdom of heaven, let me move away from the, the church analogy. I'm just expressing how I feel that tension personally. But I, I, what we see with the old covenant and the new covenant, covenant, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. I think in an era where we look for new and improved and better, what's really annoying is when they, they, they advertise the phone like everything's brand new and amazing. It's the same phone. It's just a new phone. <laughs> you know, it's the exact same phone. There's nothing new about that. And mo- most of the time we buy it, hook, line, and sinker, and we realize, oh, they just changed the fonts of everything. It's the same thing. And we don't have to in- necessarily improve on it, but there's fresh revelation for us today. God, God just kind of gave me a clear thing, and let me get this down on a very practical discipleship. Because if you are a believer, you're not just called to be a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be a disciple maker. Go make disciples. Jesus last, the great mission with Jesus. Go make disciples. We're called to be disciple makers. And that, that's complicated for many of us in, in our brains, but it's really simple. It's coming alongside people and pointing them to the fine pearl. It's pretty simple. Um, and encouraging people and bringing people. And sometimes we struggle with how, how do I do that? And um, we have a cousin who's getting married, and, and the other day they were talking about something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Some of you ladies know this. Um, and guys too. Sorry, you're not ignorant about that. Um, but I think this can be applied on a discipleship basis. If you're kind of wondering where to go with someone, you just kind of see that God's doing something in their life and kind of leaning in. And just wondering, God, what are you trying to say here? Speak of the old timeless truth. 
of the gospel. Speak of, of something borrowed, that something great that you heard that meant a lot to you and you just think passed on would be good. Speak of a blue. Speak when it was rough for you. Be honest. Show the scars. Show some vulnerability. And then pray. In that moment, when you're right there, pray for something new that God would just reveal to you that's for them in that moment at that time. So something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. I don't know if that helps anybody, but maybe it will just the next time you're kind of with someone and there's a moment and, and God's doing something there. You don't know what to say. Something old, something new, something borrowed, but something blue. Maybe that'll stick with you. Um, so these household treasures, we have an opportunity to, to bring them out, um, to brush off the, the timeless truths, if you will, that we've maybe kind of set to the side. Jesus came to fulfill them, not to ab- abolish them. So the old, uh, the new covenant built on the old covenant, um, not the other way around. So uh, the next one is the yeast, Matthew 13, 33. You're doing a great job keeping them up there. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Um, Tuesday nights at my house, for many people, tacos are Tuesdays, but for us, it's pizza night. Every single Tuesday, as a family, we, as a family, usually my kids and my wife, too many cooks in the kitchen when I get in there, my wife's just like, get it out, because I want to perfect everything and become a chef, and she's like, their kids, just let them do it. Um, but it's pizza night, and so we get the dough, and, and the kids are rolling it out and, and, and doing that, and that's, that's different than what this is. Like, with with yeast, and I'm not a chef or to know all about this, but I know this. I know that it has to be worked into all of it for everything to rise. Like the yeast is like the most important ingredient. It has to get into every part of that dough for something fresh to rise up. And the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. That sounds like a lot of flour. Sounds like a lot of flour. I don't know. Until it worked all through the dough. And I think there's something tangible that we need to understand that the, the kingdom of heaven is meant to be spread into all the world, every single parts of it. And we are so focused kind of on ourselves and, and on America and praise God, let's make America a great, great again. But, but a kingdom-minded perspective is that everybody on every part of the globe matters. They do, and our heart is to see the gospel go forward. So when I hear what happens, here, here's the change. When I hear about something missionally that's happening in the church, whether I feel called to international missions, whether I even, quote-unquote, in my personal self and flesh care, I care because it's a kingdom cause. I care. And when, and when there's a victory in South Africa, I celebrate like it was my kids at the play because it's the priority in my life. I celebrate it. A victory for the king. We can can rejoice over great things happening in other churches. It it doesn't detract from anything here. It just keeps us connected to the the big picture of the kingdom that we're in this thing together. So many times it's like this this game we're playing. And it's it's not about that. And so the kingdom of heaven is meant to be spread in all, all the world. Jesus uses this yeast terminology another time in talking about the Pharisees and correcting the Pharisees and their religiosity, if I can just say it like that. He says that a little bit will spoil the whole bunch too. So keeping the priority the priority, the most prized possession, keeping it the focus, know that relig- like the enemy would love for religiosity to kind of get in your spirit because it's going to ruin the whole batch. 
It's going to ruin the whole batch. And so um, work with us here to, to keep a spirit of relationship and not a spirit of religion here. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that there. Um, but the parable of the yeast, hopefully you're, you're, we're seeing a broad picture of all these different aspects of the kingdom, but also some practical things for how we live this out. The next one is the mustard seed. This one's pretty familiar. This is actually a different um, scenario than what you, you're most familiar with. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. We just had some landscaping done at our house. Pretty excited about it because we've been that house that has like nothing for like ever. And what we had was just weeds that were growing up and taking over everything. Um, so we've been pretty excited about that. But Taryn and I are terrible at like keeping up with plants. Like we know how to kill them. We just don't know how to keep them alive. Um, we've been really focused on keeping our children alive. Plants not so much. So we're going to try to balance them both. We'll keep you posted on how things go. But we got all these new plants, and we were gone most of this week, and come back, and like, oh my gosh, they're, they're dying, and, and Taryn has like a certain thing that she likes. She doesn't like super high hedges. Uh, she didn't want them to get super high. Um, and so she was really like, hey, all right, what's going to be the top here? She's like, he's, he's like, well, you'll just have to cut them down to where you, you want them and keep them managed there. I think so many times when we look at life, and we look at scenarios or conversations It's just mustard seeds, and, and we view it by where it starts, and that's, that's easy to do. What's more difficult to do is to have faith in God, that what begins small will grow very large. The, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this mustard seed, that it starts small. And Jesus wasn't just preaching that, he lived that. He took three men that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John. They were closest to him. And then he, he spent more time with the 12, small. For a while, Jews and, Jews and, and people, that, spectators, like, oh, that's nothing. He's just doing his little miracles. He's got a little Bible study over there. It's real cute. You know, people seem to be encouraged and filled with joy, and they're, People are starting to follow them a little bit. Then when it got to 12, then when it got to 80, and got to 120, 140, it just started small. It started with a baby in a manger. Jesus was that mustard seed, but everybody feared that mustard seed because they knew the prophecy was true. So the kingdom of heaven begins in the hearts of men by the work of God. It just starts like a seed. And so all I can encourage you here is be faithful to be a planter of those seeds. God's put them in your hand. He's put them in your heart. He's put them in your pocket. Your pocket's filled with seeds. Just be faithful to plant those things and trust God. Like if it's a, if it's a conversation with your boss for a raise, come on, somebody, love a raise. Anybody? Amen. Okay, never mind. I won't pray for that for you guys. Not too excited about raises, but um, I'll change it. Take it off my prayer list for you. I'm um, just kidding. Um, if it's just planting a seed there, and then after three months, he still hasn't responded to me. And am I going to get angry? Am I just going to believe and just trust God financially? God, you told me to leave? No, you haven't told me to leave. Well, okay, I'm not going to leave. You told me to stay here. Just trust God. Every once in a while, just plant a seed. You know? And maybe that's not trying to manipulate. It's just 
being faithful and being consistent and just letting God do the work. Maybe it's conversation with your husband or wife. Maybe it's conversation with a, a sibling that you've, you've had to have and you're just kind of not happy how, with how it's going. Just plant that seed. Just let God do the work. Let God do the work. Kingdom of heaven, it begins in the hearts of men, but by the work of God. So just plant it. It'll grow up big. And what's beautiful is that in this day and age, the kingdom has grown to such a place. Technologies help this. But it's this huge tree that people can see it from far off. People that are both literally and figuratively can, can hear the gospel and come to know, can come to know Jesus. Um, got a few more here for you. Two more, two more. Uh, the sprouting seed, this is the sixth one, the sprouting seed. This one's actually in Mark chapter 4. This is what the kingdom of God is like. I love that every single one of these starts like, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I need the, the simple, straightforward, and then he tells a parable that's really confusing. Um, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We, we like to rush things a lot. We like to rush things a lot, but God's really interested in the process. He's really inter- interested in the process. Have you, ever se- have you ever watched someone grow, like literally watched, not physically, but just seen the growth, like seen the difference? Maybe it's with a kid, like uh, with uh, Camden for a while, like his He's three now, and we were trying to work him on the tricycle, and he was no good at it. But he's, like, super strong. Like, he's, like, the strongest three-year-old I've ever met, and I've only met about five or six of them. But he's, um, he's super strong, and, like, you, I would just expect that he could just go to town on this. Um, and I would kind of get frustrated. I'm like, I know you can do this. You just got to try. But we would just, like, continue to go out, kind of be faithful, be consistent with it. And then one day, he just, he just got it. And now he's, like, a champion. Like, I'm ready to put him in races, like tricycle races. I don't know if that's a thing, but... I'm pretty sure he'd be good at it because he's so, he's so fast at it. Um, God's interested in the process. Like, I've had to learn this as a parent. I've had to learn this as a pastor to just enjoy the process. Quit trying to rush. Quit trying to rush things. Quit trying to rush things even spiritually. Just like find yourself keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul said to the to church at Galatia. Just keep in step with the Spirit. God, what are you doing right now in me? What are you... What are you doing right now? What do you want me to be involved in? What do you want me to put my hands to? And no, there's going to come a time where it's, it's time to harvest and just, you know, praise God for that. But it does it. God, God does something on the inside. It's the church and the kingdom of heaven. They're, it's not a man-made organization. We didn't, I didn't make this. You didn't make this. God, 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 this is God's idea. It's a God-made organization. And it's, it's different than anything. So many times when I'm trying to explain things leadership-wise or reading leadership books, and I end up having these conversations with pastor friends or, or staff and leadership here, it's like, yeah, but, like, the church is different. There's all these kind of, like, caveats of, like, yeah, it's just a different organization. It's a different organism. And, and we've got to come to understand that, that there is something powerful to us being faithful in the process um, God does something with that, that little seed that gets planted out. Um, 
And then finally, the last one, the net band, guys, if you guys want to come. Um, the last one is this, Matthew 13, 47 through 50. <clears throat> Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, <clears throat> some people that want to cancel out the idea of eternal punishment, of being separated from God, want to cancel that out, would like to just strike that from the scriptures because it's hard to hear. Because it's scary, frankly. It's really hard to hear. Um, I didn't write this. I'd probably write it a little different way. But the reality of it's the same. It's the words of Jesus here. And he's, he's given a parable. And it's really this. We could get into this giant conversation about salvation and, um, and faith. And he planted in our heart. We get this whole thing. And, and I'm not going to go there today. But here's what I do want to say. That every single one of these is about the heart. That net, what he's going to be checking, you know, if we're in the blood of Jesus, it's not, have you been perfect every day of your life? Because none of us will make it. So, if you kind of feel the pressure of that, that's a different gospel than what the gospel that, that Jesus established. But it's about the heart. It's about the heart. That's what he's going to be judging. That's what he's looking at. He's not looking at how well you impressed your church friends. He's not checking how well you, you check off all the religious boxes. Paid them tithe and, you know, came to church every once in a while and, you know, tried to be good to people. And that's like a, that's like a good old boy gospel. That's not the gospel. He's going to be checking the heart. And if you're in this place and, like, just, just frankly, like, heart's not right. Heart's not right. I'm, I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. What I'm, what I'm saying is your, your heart's not right. You just need Jesus to come in and just work on you. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 1, 6, that he that started the work in you will be faithful to complete it. He starts it, and he'll finish it. It's submitting ourselves to the process, and it's engaging ourselves in this kingdom of heaven that God's called us to be a part Jesus, sovereign God over it all. He's the king in our kingdom. But he's called us, each one of us, to be ministers. Peter, it was a, we were a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. I don't want to try to describe all that. But that you're called to be a part of the ministry of the kingdom of heaven. Not to be a spectator. Not to just be an attender, but to be a part of the kingdom. Not just here, everywhere, every part of the world. To be a part of it. And I just want to offer an invitation to just spend some time with God and let him do some work on your heart. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to invite you to the table and to this altar for those in the house that just need some time with the Lord this morning.
Get some people to come around you and pray for you. This message is not one to kind of get you, I don't know, not a lot of zingers and one-liners that can engage you. But there's the prize, there's the pearl of Jesus. That once we've found it, there's a great joy that happens that it's ours. Nothing can take it away, can secure it, and I'll sell everything I have for the kingdom. I think we, we like the way that sounds, but in reality, that's really hard. Maybe that's not selling all your possessions. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just giving up that addiction that the doctors told you is actually killing you. Maybe it's get, giving up with letting go of that religious mentality with the yeast of the Pharisees is work its way in. I don't know. These guys are going to sing a song about just nothing holding us back. And I just pray that in your heart, in your life, each one of you, that literally nothing would hold you back from being a part of the kingdom of God. Because you're his pearl. You're his treasure.